It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. He looked away when we made eye contact, but his mouth curved into a creepy smirk as he turned and focused his attention on my friend's cousin. Our meeting lasted less than an hour, and he managed to make me feel uncomfortable and intimidated. Needless to say, I wasn't delighted with Lucas's choice of roommate. The only thing he said to me multiple times was that he was just trying to get into bed. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Thanks to Canva Pro for supporting Disturbed. Canva Pro is a design platform that empowers you to create and share stunning content in just a few clicks. Get a free 45-day extended trial by going to canva.me disturbed. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. Guys, at the top of the show, I have a big announcement. You guys got out there and voted for Disturbed to get a nomination in the People's Choice Podcast Awards. Well, it's official. We've made the final slate and earned a nomination in the Storyteller slash Drama category, and it's all because you guys got out there and voted. So a huge thank you to each and every one of you for helping us out and giving Disturbed your vote. Now, voting for the final slate is up to a panel of select podcasters, journalists, and other assorted podcast figures in the space. You guys did your job by voting, so now hopefully we can bring it home. The award show will have a 90-minute live stream event announcing the winners, and I'll be sure to bring more details as that approaches. And with all that out of the way, let's get rolling. We open the show with an experience from Reddit user Anasi, and we learn that people with bad intentions might not always be who you expect. Performing this experience is Tanya Eby. A week or so ago, I went with my best friend's family to the zoo. I am a female, 15, and my friend is also a female, 15. So we were allowed to roam the zoo on our own as long as we kept watch over her little cousin, who was a male, five. We were leaving the monkey exhibit and were making our way back to their family who were seated by the entrance to the exhibit. The path that led back to the entrance didn't have many people on it other than families that may have decided to take a break on one of the many benches that were on the left side of the path. 
My friend was walking on the right of me, and her little cousin was walking to my left. Me and my friend were talking while her cousin was skipping next to us when a shrill voice interrupted our conversation. Oh, look at you. I could eat you up. Me and my friend looked over to a bench where an old woman who looked to be in her 60s and a man who looked to be in his early 30s sat. The lady was the one who had spoken, and her attention was on my friend's cousin. You're a little chubby, but your hair is beautiful, baby. Me and my friend gave the woman a tight smile, slowing our walk to allow the woman to keep on talking to the boy. The lady then asked how old he was, and he politely responded with his correct age. The woman continued to ask simple things like his favorite color and if he was enjoying the zoo, and we allowed it as we didn't really have to be anywhere in a hurry. While the woman continued to ask questions, I looked over at the man next to her who was studying me and my friend intensely. He looked away when we made eye contact, but his mouth curved into a creepy smirk as he turned and focused his attention on my friend's cousin. After another minute or so of questions, the boy began to look bored and turned to me and my friend and asked when we were going back to his nana and auntie, my friend's family. I was going to respond, but the old lady spoke before I could. Ah, oh, don't you want to come home with me? I have a whole bunch of candy in my cabinet waiting for you. You can have it all if you come with me, the woman said with a wide smile. My friend's little cousin had a disgusted look on his face as he shook his head no. He moved to be on the other side of my friend as the old lady reached for his arm from where she was sitting. The old lady and the man laughed at the boy's obvious discomfort. Me and my friend looked at each other, laughing along with the two of them awkwardly, before my friend grabbed her cousin's hand as we quickly walked away. Behind us, we could hear the two of them still calling for the boy. And until we were reunited with her family, I kept looking over my shoulder for the pair. That was the last time that we saw the two of them. What do you guys think? I would like to think that they were just joking around, but I cannot shake the feeling that those two wanted to do something a bit more devious with my friend's cousin. My mother always said to never go somewhere with strangers and promise of a treat or a surprise, and I'm glad the boy had known to say no. But what would have happened if the boy was alone and didn't know better? Or if any child was alone and didn't know better for that matter? Want to listen to Disturbed ad-free? Of course you do. Go to disturbedpodcast.com support to get your access today. Next up is our title story coming to us as an email submission from Samuel. And we get immersed in the ritual of horror. Bringing this experience to life is John Patnode. Matt moved in with us in the second year of university. I didn't get to know him properly before he walked into my life and wrecked havoc, but the glimpse of himself he'd shown me was enough to worry me. I barely knew under what circumstances had Lucas, my best mate, befriended this guy. We had a short meeting in our flat before he moved in to show him around and to give Lucas a chance to introduce us to each other. 
Apparently, they met in the university library where they always shared a table while studying and quickly became friends, although what made Lucas so fond of him was beyond my understanding. I tried to make a conversation with our roommate-to-be, but Matt was giving me the cold shoulder from the start. He seemed to take a liking to Lucas and was showering my best friend with attention. At first, I guessed he might not have many friends and was acting like that because of jealousy. But then I decided not to take pity on a person who's treating me like I wasn't a co-owner of the flat. What also disturbed me was how he would fool Lucas, act friendly and interested when my best friend changed the topic to something related to me. Our meeting lasted less than an hour, and he managed to make me feel uncomfortable and intimidated. Needless to say, I wasn't delighted with Lucas's choice of roommate. But unfortunately, our parents were paying the mortgage for the flat, and they called us almost every day putting us under pressure to find a roommate. And Lucas swore to me he had known Matt for long enough to vouch for him. With a heavy heart, I moved my easels and paints from the room that I had used as my studio for a whole year, and Matt moved in with us two days later. Our flat was big, with subdued dark green walls decorated only with my paintings of nature. Matt was making my blood boil with his four taxidermy birds, one of which he placed right under my painting in the living room, weird books with disturbing sketches of human and animal bodies lying around, grotesque paintings he hung up in the hallway, and the fact that even if his belongings were in almost every room of the flat, his presence was almost imperceptible. Lucas was telling me to calm down and to respect Matt's sense of aesthetics, so I never did so much as just pointing out how the dead raven's eyes were giving me the creeps. Now that all of this is behind me, it makes me laugh bitterly to think how I got rewarded for my silence. We lived close to an oak forest. One autumn evening when Lucas went out with his friends from uni on a bat-watching night, and I didn't want to start another season of TV series only to find myself still awake at 3am, I went out for a walk in the woods with Nick, my friend from art class. We took the narrow, unfrequented path that led to a clearing. He wanted to take photos of me there with the intention to practice painting both nature and humans, especially males, since all guys in his works seemed to end up deformed. We chose an hour too late for our walk, and when we made it to the clearing, the sun was disappearing behind the trees. By the time my friend managed to take some good photos with his camera, it was dark. The forest around us seemed less pleasant to be in when I could barely see the silhouettes of the shrubs that were almost next to us. My friend was taking his time with putting his camera and additional lens into the case, and I was looking around nervously. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a faint glow coming from the other side of the clearing. My body tensed, mind racing with stupid, scary thoughts. But I turned my head in that direction. There was a bonfire. I couldn't see if anyone was sitting by it, it was too far. But it just felt wrong. We were there for a whole hour and didn't notice anyone passing by, let alone starting a fire. Nick tried to console me. He guessed that some kids started a bonfire and recklessly left it behind when they hurried back home before curfew. I wasn't buying it, but I still followed him when he started walking across the clearing. We were halfway there when I realized there was, in fact, someone sitting by the bonfire. I tried to talk my friend into backing away. We weren't the strongest guys, and this forest was known to be a dangerous place at night. But he wasn't having any of my pleats. I think he wanted to lecture whoever that was on the hazards of starting a fire in the forest, but all I heard was, excuse me, sir, and then a surprised gasp. 
I took a good look at the figure sitting on the grass by the bonfire and felt rage and fear simultaneously when I realized it was Matt. The air smelled of burning herbs. I breathed in a bit of the smoke and started to cough. The smell reminded me of burning hair and it made me nauseous. Matt seemed not to notice us. I took a few steps closer and heard the fire's crackle mixing with words he was quietly reciting. I didn't understand anything. It sounded like some chant in Latin or maybe some other dead language. Matt's eyes were closed, his hands folded in his lap with his palms open. His hands were dirty with something that looked like earth and grass, but with the faint yellow-orange light the bonfire was casting on his features, I wasn't entirely sure. Matt, I said quietly, trying to get his attention. His brows furrowed, but he didn't stop his chanting. I took the last steps that separated us and put my hands on his shoulders. Matt, what are you doing? I literally screamed and he opened his eyes with a low, pained gasp that scared the hell out of me. His dirty hands gripped mine. He took a few breaths, whimpering quietly as if he was in pain. I felt a dull ache when he dug his fingers into my palm, then his eyes found mine. And believe me, the way he looked at me, with something so animalistic and angry, will stay with me forever, even if I forget everything else. He tried to get up, but his knees buckled and he clung to me to avoid falling. He was breathing heavily with his chin on my shoulder, and as I was breathing in his scent, I grew more and more scared, even though I couldn't realize what it reminded me of. What the fuck? My friend exclaimed while starting to put out the fire. Matt was still holding on to me, but I could feel him slowly regaining his strength. Finally, he let me go and took a few steps back. Nick was looking at him expectantly. Matt shot me another unpleasant look, but this one wasn't as animalistic and scary as its predecessor. Nick cleared his throat, visibly waiting for some explanation. I was walking back home from my evening stroll, Matt started, and I couldn't help but roll my eyes. When I noticed this bonfire, there was no one around, so I decided to sit down for a bit and put it out when I would leave. Looks like I got lost in meditation, he said, and both I and Nick just scoffed at how dumbly it sounded. After a while, we all went back, my friend leaving us after some time, heading in the direction of his home. Matt and I were walking in silence. I hoped Lucas would show up earlier than in the morning since I felt petrified and needed to talk with him. I was sure that Matt would get kicked out the moment Lucas heard what happened. I was wrong. Lucas didn't believe half the things I'd said. He believed Matt's story about losing himself in meditation and told me both I and Nick got so scared because we let our imaginations create horrible scenarios in a dark forest. I felt betrayed. One moment saw Matt explaining himself to Lucas with a pout on his face, pretending to be so innocent, and the second I saw him smiling at me nastily, as if making sure I knew I had no chance at winning in the game he was playing, it hurt to know my childhood friend chose this snake over me. I gave Lucas the silent treatment and closed myself in our room for the day, trying to calm down. I was almost finishing my landscape when a sudden realization hit me. I sat for a while with the brush almost touching the canvas with one thought in my head. Last night, Matt smelled of earth and herb, yes. But the one thing I couldn't name back then was clear to me now. He also smelled of blood. It made my skin crawl. I wanted to get up and run into the kitchen where I heard Lucas talking to Matt, but I knew it wouldn't change a thing. Lucas would think I was crazy, and Matt would give me another look of utter superiority. 
And so I kept my mouth shut and went back to my painting. None of us said anything about that incident ever again. I would leave the room whenever Matt walked into it and tried not to get up during the night until I really had to. As he started to sit in the living room by the candlelight, yes, candlelight, eyes bored into one of his disturbing books until late hours. My friendship with Lucas weakened. I felt alienated in my own flat since I didn't talk with Matt at all and Lucas was careful when having a conversation with me. That is, if we had a conversation and not just lie down with our backs to each other. A few months passed through calmly. We all got through this period with silence hanging between us, but it was uneventful. I slowly started to make other friends and felt less depressed. Unfortunately, it didn't last long. It happened on April 4th. Lucas went out with his friends and I was in the flat, painting. Matt was lounging in the living room, reading a book. I felt tired around 11pm and went to bed half an hour later. It was a full moon and I had to shut the window blinds so the room was dark or I wouldn't be able to fall asleep. The night was silent, with only a faint noise from the outside, and I drifted off quickly. I woke up with a start. I had no idea what woke me, my mind still heavy with sleep. I took a few deep breaths and looked around the room. The first thing I noticed was the open window and moonlight streaming into the room. I made a move to get up and shut the blinds, but I found my hands tied to the bedpost. That made my heart jump in my chest. I immediately thought of Matt, of how he surely wanted to prank me so I would once again try to talk some sense into Lucas after he'd come back home. I was angry, but at the same time I couldn't ignore the tingle of fear that pitched in my abdomen. I lifted my head from the cushions and almost screamed at the sight of a silhouette of a man standing in the doorway. The silhouette moved and soon Matt's face came to view in the faint moonlight glow. He was watching me with a weird look on his face. I tried to speak but my throat felt dry and clenched. Matt sat on my left side for a while just watching me breathe heavily. Then he reached out and put his hand on my face. My little lamb, he said quietly, and I felt fear climbing up my whole body. I froze. He's such a fool, isn't he? He added and moved his hands to the knot of the material that was pressing into my wrist. I didn't even have to try. Lucas literally traded the friendship he had with you like a piece of junk jewelry. His eyes fixed on me again and I squeezed my eyes shut. I couldn't stand the victorious look on his face. He stood up, left the room, and quickly came back with a box of matches. I panicked and started to thrash, trying to free my hands. That only made him laugh. He started to light up a few candles and put them on the shelves around the room. He then moved to the second part of the room and opened another window. I felt a gust of wind and my mind, basically numb with fear until then, sent another wave of fear down my body. I was naked. What do you want? I asked, my voice hollow. Matt didn't say anything for a long time. He just stood next to the bed, eyeing me up and down, as if he truly wondered what to do with me. Isn't it enough he has me naked and tied? I thought, still thinking it was some sort of a sick prank. Matt turned his back to me as he approached the cupboard standing in the unit corner of the room. He took something from the shelf, closed the door, and approached me. He was holding a carving knife. I started stammering, begging him to leave me alone, telling him I already felt enough shame as it is that Lucas surely won't look at me in the eyes anymore once he has to untie me. But he only smiled faintly at this. 
He started telling me how he tried to conduct this ritual once, but my friend and I were stupid enough to interrupt him, and how he used too much fire and too little blood and pain. He also mentioned how the one conducting the ritual shouldn't be the one bleeding and in pain. I understood he was talking about the night in the oak forest when I shook him out of his weird trance and remembered how he whimpered in pain when he regained his consciousness back then. He tried to crawl on the bed, but I kicked him in the stomach so hard he backed away and doubled over. I started screaming, hoping that someone would hear me and come to the rescue. Hearing my cries, Matt limped towards the bed and punched me in the face and throat so hard I almost passed out. I just lied there, trying to breathe as my face pulsed with pain and my throat seemed to be on fire. I felt a sharp sting in my legs and realized Matt was kneeling on the bed with one hand gripping my thigh and the second one making deep lacerations in my flesh. Once again, I tried to free myself, pulling at the material my hands were tied with. The stinging sensation became a full-blown pain, and I realized with horror that blood was oozing from the wounds and down my body. I tried to kick Matt once more, but he had control over the situation and sent a blow to my face that split my lip and caused a stream of blood flowing from my nose. For a moment, I felt nothing but pain. I was unconsciously pulling at the material, trying to free my wrists. Then I felt my lower body being lifted and my mind shut down. When Matt hooked my legs on his shoulders, I started to cry. I knew what was about to happen and knew that no amount of thrashing and kicking would save me from this. The pain was agonizing. I remember sobbing loudly at first, then he punched me again and my head fell to the left side. I focused on the clock on the wall and kept looking at it as my mind slowly went completely numb. Matt started mumbling under his nose, words incomprehensible to me. I remember staring at this clock all the time, watching as it went from 2am to 2.30am and then to 2.50am when Matt walked out of the room, only to come back with more candles which he lit before hooking my ankles around his shoulders again. It was almost 4am when the room went from grayish in the moonlight to bright when the lights were suddenly turned on. I moved my head slowly and saw Lucas's face over Matt's shoulder, marked with terror. I remember him screaming, lunging at Matt and pushing him off of me. The next thing I registered was Lucas pulling at the material on my wrists and then the cold steel of the scissors he used to cut it open. I lifted my head a little. Lucas was eyeing my body with his hands covering his lips. His tearful face was the last thing I remember of that night. The next few days were a blur. I felt ashamed constantly, first in the hospital, then at the police station, and finally when my parents came to our flat. I hated myself for not doing anything after the incident in the forest, for letting Lucas talk me into keeping my mouth shut. I hated myself even for falling asleep that night, as if I could have predicted what was about to happen. It took me a whole year to function normalish again. At first, I would panic if a stranger looked at me for longer than a second on public transport. I couldn't go through a night without waking up a few times. I felt threatened every time I went out of the flat. Lucas, although primarily I had difficulty trusting him again, stayed by my side the whole time. Due to what happened to me, I was able to take Dean's leave for a whole year. I spent this year in our flat, painting, cooking, reading, and Lucas would hurry back after his lectures to spend time with me. At first, I didn't even want to hear about Matt. His parents, during our brief encounter, seemed to be mostly concerned with the fact that their son brought such a shame to the family name. It appeared that the part with weird rituals and hurting others to conduct rituals didn't worry them this much. Later on, I got to know that after two years he'd spent on probation, 
Matt's parents located him in their private estate in the countryside and that he has regular meetings with a therapist. It has been six years since it happened. My physical wounds healed quickly, while my mind can recreate that night's events as clearly as if they happened mere days ago. But I know I'll be alright. I have my best friend, my man who stays loyal to me and trusts my words whenever I have any concerns, and I am not going to let the past haunt me indefinitely. As for Matt, I hope the therapy did help him, and that he never hurts anyone else the way he could hurt in the past. I wish him all the best, but still, I hope we won't meet again. Guys, last year when I launched Disturbed, I didn't realize how important it would be to create eye-catching thumbnails for each episode. Not only that, but I had no idea how to actually do it. But I was lucky enough to discover Canva Pro, a design platform that empowers you to create and share stunning content in just a few clicks. Canva Pro comes with endless premium fonts, photos, videos, and more elements that can give the personality and style you're trying to achieve in whatever it is you're creating. Now the thing I've noticed since using Canva Pro is that no matter your skill level, designing is fast, easy, and downright fun. You can choose from thousands of professionally made templates which are easy to customize with simple drag and drop features, or you can just start from scratch. Now for me, I needed a service that would allow me to create great visuals for each episode of Disturbed. And honestly, I had no idea where to start. I did not have extra time to go learn all the little nuances that go into designing. But with Canva Pro, none of that is a problem because they make everything super simple and user-friendly. And I promise if I can do it, anyone can. Now my favorite part of using Canva Pro is accessing that giant library of high-quality images that I can use to help create the episode thumbnails for Disturbed. All you do is just search for an image or an idea, scroll through the results, and drag it onto your canvas. Then what I do is just add in some nice text and I'm done. It's that easy. And if you want a real-time visual, go check out our website, disturbedpodcast.com, because all of the episode artwork was created using Canva Pro. So the best thing you can do is go see for yourself exactly what Canva Pro can do for you. Right now, listeners of Disturbed have access to this special offer. Get a free 45-day extended trial by going to canva.me slash disturbed. That's C-A-N-V-A dot M-E slash disturbed to get your free 45-day extended trial. And we thank Canva Pro for their support of Disturbed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mihaljevic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast killer podcasts and slow burn media production 
Subscribe today, wherever you get your favorite shows. Now back to the horror. Disturbed Podcast with your host, Chad. Our next experience comes to us from Reddit user Kodak Panther, and it's the heart-stopping fear of waking up to a stranger in your room. This experience is performed by Sarah Thomas. I went to college in a historic, mid-sized city in Florida, and at the time lived in a duplex downtown, maybe three blocks from campus. The city is known to be pretty safe, and I lived in a pretty decent area with large historic homes near me. This all happened around three years ago. A little backstory that will become relevant. The duplex I lived in had a front door that locked, and then both the upstairs and downstairs units had their own locking door. I lived downstairs and had two roommates, but this specific night, only one of my roommates was home. We knew the girls that lived upstairs, but only really spoke to them in passing. When they moved in, we emphasized how important it was to us for them to keep the main front door locked, and they did a good job of doing so. So me and my roommate are in for the night, knowing the front door is locked and smoke a few joints. At some point, we hear a knock at the front door and quickly realize the girls upstairs had ordered a pizza. Later on, it becomes evident that they never locked the front door after receiving their pizza. So, we finally go to sleep in our own rooms. And since I had a queen bed, I would often sleep with my phone and laptop next to me in my bed. A couple hours after I fell asleep, I woke up to a man standing over my bed. As soon as I realize I'm not dreaming, I notice that he is quickly moving my phone and computer off of my bed and moving my comforter trying to get into my bed. I start to ask him who he is, what he's doing here, and just generally confused as I was still slightly high from before I went to sleep. The only thing he said to me multiple times was that he was just trying to get into bed. At this point, I begin to panic, as my mind obviously goes to the worst. I was hoping that maybe my roommate had invited some random tender guy over and that he had gone to the wrong room. But the more I questioned him, all he had to say was, I'm just trying to get in bed. I own pepper spray and a stun gun, but I had accidentally left them on the shelf that the guy was standing in front of. So there was no way I would be able to grab them without escalating the situation. Realizing I need to do something quickly, I blurted, There are five people who live in this house, and if you don't get the fuck out now, I will scream and they will be here within seconds. Luckily, that was all it took to scare him off. I don't know if he had brought something with him or if he stole something from me, but I saw him grab something in the dark and run out of my room. As soon as he left my room, I shut the door and locked it and tried to find my phone. I couldn't find it anywhere but then quickly realized that between my room and the front door is the room of my friend that was home. As scared as I was, I was terrified that the guy had maybe gone into her room. So I grabbed my stun gun and a pocket knife, counted to three, and ripped open my door. I ran into my roommate's room, and she was fast asleep, and there was no evidence of the guy. I told her what happened, 
and she asked me if I was sure I wasn't dreaming. I began to question myself until I walked out of her room and saw that our front door was wide open. I went to my room to search for my phone and finally found it hidden under a pile of clothes across the room from where I had left it. That sent a chill up my spine, as I immediately knew for a fact someone had been in my house and in my room while I was sleeping, and long enough to hide my phone, which only worsened my suspicions of his intentions. I ran back to my roommate's room, who at that point believed me, barricaded ourselves into the room and called 911. Within minutes, there were police cars swarming our street and yard, and they yelled for us to quickly leave the residence and run towards them. At least a dozen police officers came running in and searched every inch of our apartment and woke up the girls upstairs and searched their apartment to ensure the man had left. The officers then had me write a statement and I gave them a description of the man. And to this day, I've never heard a single thing about the case. I feel incredibly lucky with the outcome of the situation, but the thought of his intentions terrifies me. And additionally, the fact that he was never caught scares me, as I would hate for anyone to have to go through the pure fear that I did. I will add, there is a chance that he was on drugs or mentally ill and had no bad intentions. However, because he was never caught, I will never know and my mind will always assume the worst. Are you listening alone? Rather brave of you. And finally, we have an email submission from Jeremy. And it's the spirit in his room that brings the fear. Our storyteller here is Tom Aglio. Back in college, my girlfriend's brother was renting an apartment that had a reputation as being haunted. Prior to my experience, her brother and his roommates had all experienced some type of paranormal event. These events ranged from seeing a strange shadow that would dart around the apartment to people being held down in their beds by an unseen force. On this night, my girlfriend and I were staying at his apartment after attending a party. We were sleeping on an inflatable mattress in the living room, and in the middle of the night, I began having a nightmare. In the nightmare, I was in a public restroom washing my hands. When I reached for a paper towel, the entire stack of towels began flying around the room. I instinctively knew that a ghost was causing the disturbance, so I ran for the door and found that it was locked. In a panic, I began desperately trying to turn the doorknob to no avail. I could feel myself beginning to hyperventilate as I woke with a start and sat straight up. My heart was hammering in my ears as I sat in the silence of the room. Across the living room, the bluish moonlight from the skylight was shining against the wall. After a few moments, my panic began to subside and I laid back down on the mattress. I could still see the moonlight on the wall as I began to close my eyes and, as I did, the moonlight shifted ever so slightly. This startled me, so I opened my eyes again, believing that the shifting was due to my eyelashes closing over my eyes. I expected the moonlight to shift back to its original shape as my eyes opened and, when it didn't, this disturbed me even more. I sat there for a few moments, opening and closing my eyes as the moonlight began to almost dance in front of me. Finally, it shifted into the shape of a woman. She looked to be around 70 years of age and she bore all of the signs of a hard life. 
Her skin was heavily tanned and worn, and her features were so clear that I could see blemishes and wrinkles. She wore late 18th-slash-early 19th century clothing, a lacy high collar and hoop skirt, yet around her head and shoulders, she wore a large shawl that seemed to be binding her arms to her body. I wondered if they were her grave clothes. She was looking right at me with an almost Mona Lisa smile, and despite the fact that there was nothing about her features that made her attractive, something maybe an otherworldly power, was compelling me to go to her. I sat beguiled in her presence for what seemed like an eternity as we stared at each other. Then, and because her hands were bound up in the shawl, she made an almost sneaky come-here motion with her head. At this point, I was even more startled as I thought, holy shit, it moved. Up until that point, I didn't feel threatened. However, in that moment, I felt an incredible sense of danger. Like, have you ever met someone who gave you the creeps? Well, imagine that times a thousand. It was as if someone or something was warning me that if I went with her, something horrible would happen. And it seemed as if she could sense my apprehension because she suddenly beckoned me a second time. All I could think to do was stare at her and shake my head. In response, she smiled at me a final time then vanished right before my eyes. I sat there for several minutes, looking around the room to see if she would reappear, but she never did. I looked down at my girlfriend, wondering if any of this had awakened her, and saw that she was still sleeping peacefully. At that point, I laid down on the mattress and began to drift back to sleep. How I went to sleep after that, I'll never know. In the morning, I felt as if every ounce of energy had been drained from my body. Had I been a battery, my charge would have been at 0%. I was so exhausted. I could barely lift myself off the mattress. I attempted to go to work, but even standing was too much, and I ended up having to take a sick day. I slept the rest of the day and well into the night. After that night, I swore I would never stay in his apartment again. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. Get your story on the show. Email us at mystoryatdisturbedpodcast.com or fill out our online submission form at disturbedpodcast.com slash submit. And don't forget, you can always leave us a text or voicemail on our hotline at 701-354-3667. Share your story or just let us know what you think of the show. Voicemails have a three-minute time limit, so if you get cut off, just call back. Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and listener support. Thanks to those who share the show with friends and leave positive reviews. These things help new listeners find us. Follow or subscribe wherever you're listening right now so you never miss an episode. And if you'd like to hear these episodes without the ads, you can get early access to our premium ad-free feed as well as monthly bonus episodes. Visit disturbedpodcast.com support to learn more. And a shout out to all of our newest members, and we have quite a few. Stacy Farnham, Jacqueline Shields, Eric Emmert, William the Creator, Patrick Stein, Carrie Hughes, Lori, Debbie Sanders, Christine Stetzer, Kayla, Courtney Burns, Tom Gajowski, Kay, Jane Bernstein, Summer Bell, and Ryan Rapid. 
Thanks so much for supporting the show. The music you heard was by Carl Casey at WhiteBatAudio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.